1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right,
2: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth gear for all types of weather, all types of terrain, all types of budgets, clothing that just works. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. So literally I'm getting ready to record the podcast, uh, recapping our Patreon hunt, uh, supposed to be earlier than this, but, uh, the guys have just been hunting and, uh, it's been almost impossible to get them out of the woods and get them on the podcast. So, um, that being said, got to give a huge amount of shout outs. Um, guys just putting down deer left and right, uh, Robbie, Tyler, Mark, Eric, uh, Todd with another uh <laughs> he shot a deer with a muzzle loader, but uh new hunter just putting down deer left and right. And uh the Patreon group is just going crazy. I'm sure um I forgot uh a couple. Um but uh Uncle Frank actually put down a doe. Uh you probably saw that on Instagram where uh bad hit had to track it, but you know, we're getting ready, uh, to go into like full rutcation mode. Uh, right now I am working like the next, I don't know, nine or 10 days straight. Uh, then I have five days off, going to head to Indiana work one day. Um, and then I'm off for another 20 days, I think. Um, and, uh, half of that's going to be spent in Kansas, but, uh, I'm getting ready for it. Uh, my buddy Josh is tagged out already in Michigan and go back and listen to that podcast and listen to how humble Matt is on the, uh, great white saddle hunter podcast. So we do that podcast and he's like, Oh, you know, I just make it sound too easy. Um, and he just put down a monster, uh, over 200 inch deer on public in Illinois. Um, So congrats to Matt. Oh my gosh. What, what a freaking deer. And uh, he ended up going in there kind of just on a hunch. Um, He knew he he was pretty sure where the deer was. And he's like, if he's still alive, he's going to be bedded there and I'm going to be able to kill him. Just walks in there and does it just like that. So uh, we're going to have to get back on here uh, on the podcast with him um, and kind of recount that story. Um, as well as my buddy, Mark, you know, we've alluded to it in a couple of different podcasts, him using, um, decoys to, uh, kill deer, even here in Michigan, uh, even in the earlier parts, you know, not the rut. And, uh, he did it once again, kind of called his shot and in talking with him, he said, I was just so confident because, you know, I know that it works and this is the way that, uh, this is the way that it happens. So, um, pretty excited to talk to him about that, but, you know, like I say all the time, you know, send us your, your wins, show us, show us your kills, show us your harvest, show us your deer. Um, and, uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to share that and share your story because, you know, I'm, I'm the world's worst bowhunter, right? I've been out a few times seen some deer messed up on a small buck and, you know, it is what it is, but I'm, I'm getting ready for those big time sits here coming up in November. So, um, it's, this is, this is what we, this is what we wait all year for. So um, this podcast, we talked with uh, you know good friend, one of the sponsors, um, Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge, and talk about um, the app, some of the updates, uh, some of the ways to use it, um, kind of like where it's going, a little bit of philosophical discussion about uh, AI and if it's too much for uh, deer hunting and uh, how we can use it um, and some of the new features, so uh, pretty interesting stuff, especially if you're using the app, um, and you want to get more in depth, uh, with it, or if you're using another app and you're trying to figure out, you know, is Spartan Forge a company that I want to give my money to. Um, so pretty cool there. Um, got to give a shout out to all the sponsors and with Spartan Forge, you can go to SpartanForge.ai AI and use code bowhunter, uh, save 25%. Um, it's already pretty cheap, but 30 bucks for the year for, um, for everything. Um, that's, that's a great deal. Um, I got some other, uh, codes. You can check the show notes, but big shot targets, you can save 10%. You can save money over at latitude. And I'll tell you, I got to make a video on it. I kind of held off. Um, but using their sticks, I've used them multiple times in downpours in the dark. Um, you know, I've used them how they're definitely not designed to be used. And, uh, I'm very, very happy with them. Um, and you know, yeah, they're my friends. Yeah. They sponsor show all that stuff, but, um, I would definitely continue using them. Um, and for the money, it's really hard to, to beat those sticks. So, um, and I've been using, uh, basically on all my sits, three sticks with two eighters. Um, I've got, I think I may have had four eighters. I lost an eighter, somewhere, or maybe I only had three, but I've got three sticks with eighters and one stick without an eighter. And basically all of my sits have been three sticks high, um, using two eighters and, uh, just one, one stick without an eighter. And, and that's been, that's been where I've been comfortable where my setups have been. So, um, if you haven't checked them out, if you haven't got your hands on them, um, definitely do so. And, uh, you know, just give them a thought. Um, not all the hype of like, oh, these are the lightest, oh, these are the quietest, oh, any of that stuff. No, they just work, and uh, I really do appreciate, um, you know, getting to use them, getting to see them ahead of time. But, um, uh, a heck of a stick, um, and a pretty good price. So, check them out. And their, their, uh, ropes are, are like second to none. The, the amount of people that have, that were at the Patreon hunt who saw these uh, ropes and we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't really know that that's what they were made of or how they shaped up. So check out their ropes as well. Um, but yeah, this podcast with Bill, I think you're going to like it. I think, um, I, at the end, I say that it was kind of like a confessional for Bill. He just got to kind of vent and and, and kind of talk freely. So, um, I think you guys are going to see a whole other side of Spartan Forge, maybe that, uh, that you weren't familiar with at the, at the outset. So Anyways, uh, as always, thanks for listening. Tell a friend and enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Uh, Talking today with uh, Bill Thompson, Spartan Forge. And the last time we talked, the last time we had a podcast with Bill, I wanted, I really, really, really wanted to name the podcast Killing Chuck Liddell, but I felt like that would be bad. Um, I mean, it would've got a lot of listens, more, probably more downloads. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I, I had in mind. Um, that, that's what we talked about. It's like, how would we kill Chuck Liddell, uh, with AI? And, uh, we kind of went at it from that perspective. Uh, so if you didn't listen to that one and you want to know how this, uh, AI for deer hunting works, um, just think about it like that and, and go back and check that one out. But, uh, now we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, kind of on how the app and the service and everything has evolved. Um, how are you doing today, Bill?
3: Good, man. How are you doing?
2: Not too bad. I have myself some bourbon right here because I've yet to have bourbon with you in person, and it seems like that was what you were doing uh, every time we were on a podcast. You're like, "Oh, I'm gonna get some bourbon. We're gonna we're we're gonna do that." And and now it looks like you're just run ragged. Like uh, you're, yeah, I feel like you're kind of run down.
3: <laughs> everyone says that when they see me like dude you look tired and 25 years older um and that is an accurate way to describe my current situation i saw you take a sip of that and i'm going to text my wife and ask her to bring me one um I, I i i've become a lightweight too like um uh i don't like just the long hours and the um standing at a desk and i i you know used to be able to th- you know it wouldn't be wouldn't be crazy for me to throw down four bourbons and feel just fine in the morning. And I think if I drink two right now, I'd probably fall over. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. So I think,
2: I think the first time that I ever talked to you was like, as you guys were just, I mean, you were still in the military. This thing was just going from like idea to reality and it was all, you know, there was no mapping, there was no anything. It was just applying the the artificial intelligence um, in that time frame. So probably the last what five years, like, how has Spartan Forge evolved? Like, where did it start, and how has it evolved to what it is today?
3: Was that really our last podcast, or are you saying that was our first podcast? No,
2: I'm saying from our first podcast. Our last oh, podcast our was podcast. when, when yeah, we were. I mean- killing chuck liddell uh but but i oh, mean yeah,
3: yeah yeah so i mean uh, a lot i mean a lot so when the, probably the first podcast we had was probably i think i think you were my first podcast if i'm not mistaken i think the first podcast i ever did was with you on um alex chops like the um what the what vitals live yeah the vitals live yes that's exactly right that i believe that was my first podcast ever so i mean at that point I was in active negotiations with a large mapping company and was getting ready to sign on the line for a mapping deal where I was going to just focus on AI and, and, build, AI and build AI solutions for this company, which at that time, you know, um, I was just focusing on the AI. So like back then I was talking about the where feature, which we had built back then, which was essentially just a tool that would lay on top of a map and tell you where to scout. Um, we're just to the point now with my own app where we'll be able to put out that app, that feature. Like I had to build, at that point, I was going to use another mapping service and then graft that on top of that mapping service. And essentially I, I had a conversation with that company that was trying to hire me and we had a contract and we had a, a letter of intent that was signed. Um, and it was, you know, a large, you know, a lot of money. And, um, but they basically wanted to lock me down for about 10 years um, or seven or something like that. And I said, look, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do a non-compete. I'm willing to do all of this stuff, but I'm not willing to do this job for 18 months. And then you guys let me go or something else. And now I can't compete for the next seven years or do anything. And they weren't willing to drop that language. So I said, I, the last conversation I had with the president of that company, I basically said, look, building a, um, a map is not the difficult part. The difficult part is the AI. And that's the part that I'm trying to do. But if you guys can't see the field for the or the forest for the trees, then I'll just go build my own map. And the guy was like, oh, you don't want to build your own map. You don't want to build your own map. And I said, by the third time he said that, in like 10 minutes, I was like, I think I want to build my own map. So I just, you know, pour the contract up and I think a day or two days later, I started we started building our own map. Um, and that was kind of, that was the genesis of Spartan forge. I mean, I should say Spartan forge, the mapping company, the app, or the, the planning company, not the, at that point it, in my mind, it was Spartan forge, the AI company. So it wasn't, we weren't, we weren't going to focus on the mapping side of things as much. Um, we were more going to just focus on the, um, uh, the, the, the artificial intelligence, but anyway, um, from there, we, we went out and we built, um, I had a plan and I'm summing up a lot of freaking work here in a short amount of time. And I almost feel like I'm quickly telling you how my wife carried a child for nine months or something. But, um, you know, I had a plan to get the app to a state where I thought that I was demonstrating our 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 technological capacity and, 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 how, and, and, and you know, basically our aptitude and our intelligence and our ability to bring capability to bear. And then I went out and I raised money um, and and demoed some of the capabilities that are present in the app today and stuff that we want to do later. Um, And I got some investors on board and got some advisors and started to build. And, um, you know, the, the first release, I really wanted to just get the AI out there. And I knew that I was releasing a mapping product that was substandard, but you kind of needed... I needed the user to be able to to put themselves on the ground and then, you know, hit that Intel button and then get the prediction to kind of understand what the app was telling them. Because if I just continued to just show them prediction, they would be like, is this my prediction here? Is this my prediction everywhere? Or what is, like, what is this? So I just wanted to get the map out there with the prediction. And then I knew that, that there wasn't going to be all of the features there, but it, it was good enough that I could go to an investor and say, look, I'm not dumb. And this is my, you know, I'm gonna do a lot more here. And if you, you know, invest in me, um, I can make you money. And so when I felt like I had that together, um, we continued to build and then, um, you know, raised a couple of times and, um, you know, in a, in a two year period and um, uh, had a really good year last year and allowed us to kind of offload some of the stuff that we were doing and hire some research people and, Um, I think on the last update, especially, you'll see like the specificity of like our public land data and all of that stuff that just requires people to sit down at a desk and do research seven days a week um, that I was doing in the past and that we just didn't have the time for me to do while I was doing everything else that I was doing. Um, You know, I'm finally at the point with this last release where, you know, Blue Force Tracker is still in beta and we can talk about that later. So there's stuff there still that I need to fix. And there's a couple of things with the public land display and private land data where I, I, I'm not where exactly we want to be. But right now, like feature for feature and quality, and um, I, I believe the app is competitive, if not better than what is out there um, and offers features that no one else can, can do or has maybe try to do and was un, unable to do. Um, and that, it you know, it's, and it's still cheaper and it's still, um, and, and that's a point of pride for me is that we're able to do this inexpensively. Um, and so, yeah, we're today I think it, it's a better, it's a better product and it's, um, it's still in the spirit of what I wanted to do. And now it's poised to start putting out all of those AI features that I wanted to put out almost three years ago. So that's the that's the that's a long answer, but that's that that's what it is.
2: Well, that's like five years summed up in five minutes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yep. um. So do you ever look back and say, it, I mean, after all the long hours and, and like, so now you're getting to where you, um, kind of saw this thing from the beginning. Like, I should have just took the money.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I have that thought sometimes. Life would definitely be easier, but, um, I'm a very, di- I'm like a v- really disagreeable person. Uh, and, and I, what, I guess what I mean by that is just, um, I, I don't hold my tongue and, um, people see me as a dick, but I don't see myself as a dick. Excuse me. I'm, if I'm not supposed to swear, I'm sorry. Oh, no, um, you're fine. but, uh, uh, but, you know, I try to say what's on my mind and I try to, um, you know, engage with pe- people honestly and, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd gone that road. Like I would be holding my tongue all of the time or, you know, watching decisions that get made and say like, this is not the right way to do this, or this is not the way I would architect this solution. Um, And I'm wrong sometimes. And I think I have people on my team that tell me when I'm wrong and I try my best to listen to them. But um, in, in the final analysis, it's probably the only way that I would survive in the free market is doing it on my own just because, you know, Um, You know, I'd say somebody I'd tell somebody is dumb or say something stupid or, you know, get in trouble the way that only a military guy could get in trouble in in business today. And then that would be the story of Bill Thompson. And, you know, I'd be at a bar somewhere. So I think things happen the way they have to happen. And maybe that comes from my faith in God or whatever. But, um, you know, there's a plan. And I, I think I'm in the right place at the right time for that plan.
2: So, from that, you know, like, your word saying, okay, well, I'm a disagreeable person, Um, and one of the things on here is, like, you know, going from the military to being – I was trying to think about this today, like, as I was, like, getting ready for this, that I would imagine, like, most app developers, at some point, it's just about money or they're doing it for somebody else. They aren't, like, the face of their app. They aren't the person that has to answer for it. And there's not, and I've, I've seen it before, like where, you know, you're the CEO of a company answering things on Facebook and stuff like that. Like, is that when, when you come out of the military and do something like this is like that where you saw yourself as like this app developer personality, CEO type thing where it's like, you have to like go in and either defend your product or like, you know, knowing the personality that you have?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, like I, I, I'm responsible for my efforts and my work and the decisions that I make. And I, at this point at least, or at least for the foreseeable future, as long as I have the energy, I I will be the person defending my work and I don't like the idea of someone else having to go out there and defend it or say why we made this one decision or the other. Um, but also, um, and that speaks to my disagreeable nature, but, but, but it also speaks to, I, I think and it, it's a, it's not so. it is a military thing, but I, I, you don't have to be in the military to do this, but like, I have a, an accountability that I want to bring to bear and, and, and and, and responsible for my actions and, and, but also I want that direct, um, Uh, that touch point with users where they can tell me, Hey, this is dumb or why did you do this? Or the ability to have that dialogue um, and to um, hunters are really are are also disagreeable people. They don't like spending their money unless they have have to, or at least some of them don't. Some do, (laughs) but. um,
0: Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com
4: I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.
3: And, and they're critical about things, and they will give you that feedback. And to me, um, those people are my greatest source of learning you know, for, for how I'm going to do things going forward. Um, or at least be able to defend the choices that I make, even if I don't go the way that they think I should. Um, and I get a lot of that and I get a lot of people, um, that engage a lot and send a lot of those messages, some private, some public. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's, that, that is me to my core. And I think I'll always be that guy. Like right now, every, I, I, we have people that manage social media now, thankfully, um, but every question about the app and every um, complaint or criticism or anything that gets done about the application itself, I tell my guys to leave as either unread or market unread. And then I'll go back and answer those. So I wake up every, like every morning, I wake up at the same time, usually about 5.30, and I'll be on my computer. I'll, I'll go and get my, my pre-workout. I come to the computer. Uh, at like 5:45, and I answer those messages until about seven and while I'm drinking my pre-workout. I go do my workout. I come back and then at eight, I do it until nine. And then at nine, I start my day as the CEO of Spartan forge. Um, and then I'll do that until the evening I'll check throughout the day and then big questions I'll leave until the evening. And my goal is to have every one of those questions answered every day. And right now I'm at the point where I'm probably answering 20 or so a day. Um, and on some days, even more. But again, it's important to me um, to, to just maintain that um, because I think that's how the best products get made is people that first have an understanding of it. Um, it's a passion project for them where they're, where they're building something that's truly something that they would use or as part of their life or as solving a capability gap that they themselves had as a hunter or as whatever space that you go into. Um, even podcasting or whatever, like you, you're making the podcast that you'd want to listen to, if you were just a, a listener, um, and that's the same thing I'm doing with Spartan Forge. And I think you're quite right, is that these companies car, become kind of large and amorphous and faceless, and there's no accountability there. It's just a customer, it's just a disinterested customer service agent, who is just giving you the answer that will just shut you up, or keep you off of social media complaining about something. They'll tell you whatever they need to tell you or whatever you need to hear in order to shut up um, and that is that is the opposite of what I'm doing and what I'm trying to build here. Um, and, and I think that the way that I deal with the customers bears that out and I think hunters like that um, you know because I'm I was just a diehard mobile hunter before this. that's all that I was and I wasn't a particularly good one and I wasn't a particularly bad one. Um, but I was just I was the customer segment. So yeah, I mean, that that that's that's very important to me, super important to me, to be accessible to everybody and, and as much as I can answer these people as much as I can.
2: So I've heard you say on a, a other podcast um, about like letting too much information out too quickly. How difficult is that answering those questions for angry people who don't know everything that's going on, like in the background to like get something out
3: i wouldn't say i mean sometimes i get a little frustrated especially because i'll deal with people who i who i either i'll see a message and i'll be like all right this guy's right and 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 i need to address this head on so i'll do a message but then i'll usually dm them as well and i'll be like hey dude i totally understand why this is frustrating to you here's what's going on behind the scenes I, I, I want like I'm, I appreciate that you took the time out of your day to engage on my product in the way that you did. And that means a lot to me, even if it's negative, like you're still putting your energy into my passion project. So I respect that. And then I will I'll tell them. But then I'll get these guys who repeat and will say the same thing and they will say it publicly. And then it just becomes and I'm not pretending to know their feelings or their thoughts, but it just becomes something where it's like I've been clear with you about this. We've had this discussion. I recognize your name. And now you're just continuing to complain about it. So it just tells me that this person probably has something else going on in their life that they're not able to vent about, but now they get to vent and be right because they're technically still right. And so they just choose to do it and I'll see them do it. They'll do it in like multiple places, which is, it's really strange to me. Um, So, you know, I'll, 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 you know, continue to answer those people and I'll continue to treat them with respect and, and answer every time. And I don't change the way that I do it. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and educate them on what's happening behind the scenes and why it's taking longer. And generally why it takes longer is, is because I will conceptualize a solution to a capability gap that a hunter has. And then as the, like my my most important role in the company is not CEO or president. It's, 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 and those are two different distinct titles that I'm filling right now. Um, the, my role in the company, I think my most important role is as the chief product owner, which is to figure out what do the hunters not have that they need, and then how do I architect the solution to get them that. Um, and then I map that out with my team, and I say, here's here's state A where we're at right now, and then here's you know state B, and here's how what what is the delta and how do we get there. Um, I'll architect that solution, but then. I don't account, or what I've been poor at accounting for in the past, is two things. And one I've talked to about on the podcast with Eric, so I won't re- hit the horse too hard. But it's basically an understanding that people have only had one or two solutions. For long story short, is people have only had one or two solutions for the past 15 years that that mobile mapping has been around for 12 years or whatever. Um, and I think that those situations that, that those those products were built inefficiently. But everyone learned them because it was the only thing out there. So they've been programmed on a solution that they now understand because they were incentivized to use it because it was either the only product that had everything they needed or it was the only product out there at the time. And I didn't think about that and account for that as I was building something that I thought was better. Um, I, I should have built more transition into it um, in order to kind of wean them off of this, because it was inevitably people, new con- new users will contact me and say, I don't get it. I don't understand. I, this is dumb. I don't, I don't get like these changes. And then I'll, I'll video call these guys like straight up. I'll be like, Hey dude, can I just video call you t- and explain it to you? And I'll explain it to people when I have the time or I'll, I'll message them and I'll explain it to them. And then inevitably they'll get back to me like two or three months later and be like, I don't know how I did it the other way now. Like now when I have to pick up the old app and I want to have my custom map and now I just want to look at Topo quick, I'm clicking all over the place to get to Topo. Whereas in your app, I just click maps, click Topo and I look at it and I go back to my custom map or I swipe over the compass. Um, So that was, that, that was kind of the first thing that I didn't account for. And as chief product owner, that's that was my downfall and my problem. And it was a big problem and it, you know that's kind of what you rely. You know, you try to find people in these spaces where you can try to avoid those pitfalls. But I just hadn't encountered somebody who had done something similar that could kind of teach me to avoid those things. Um, so that was probably my biggest problem. Um, and then two was you build a framework and you you in, in a technical framework, and then you try to field it, and then the app stores get back to you, and now all of a sudden it's like you're in a different space. For instance, if you're trying to build a chat feature into your application, you design that you read the technical documentation and you and you design the implementation that you want to put in the product. And then you submit a build for testing to the App Store and you test it and you work on it and you and you get the bugs and then you submit it for release in the App Store. And then the App Store comes back to you and says, you know, you didn't tell us you were doing a chat thing. Here's all of this extra documentation that we don't put out in the public. If you want to do chat and here's how this works and this is what it is. And here's what you need to get done by lawyers. And here are the technical frameworks that need to be inside present inside of the application. Here are the features that chat applications have to have like no question before I can be approved on the app store. So now you've just ballooned your ballooned your tele development line um, because of, again, my inability to do prior research. So when it took some of these things a lot longer to get out there, it was because I failed. Um, um, And it's a a mistake that I'm trying to make less and less um, and trying to, you know, either proactively contact people. But then, you know, there's all kinds of things that go in there. So, I mean, I'm totally away from saying dates now. I won't even say it. I'll just say, here's the next things that we're trying to come out with. Hope to get it done this year. Um, and if I don't, then it's coming out next year, um, and that's kind of how I'm doing things going forward.
2: So, so when you're talking about these solutions and, and kind of the the nexus of Spartan Forge with the AI, um, I feel like the world and the consumer's ability or awareness of AI has that curve has you know, lessened quite a bit in the last five years. So now when we think of like AI, you know, I could have Joe Rogan do a ad for my podcast if I put in the right things in chat, GPT, right? I mean, I could create yep. whatever. And I think now the general public understands that. And so we've talked before on the last podcast of your, your history and, and your, your hunting and moccasins and you got the recurve back behind you there. Uh, so from the AI and how quickly that's moving and, you know, the argument of that, like now it's, you can't get away from it and it's writing its own code to make sure you can't delete it. Um, how much is too much when we get into this, like features that we need, want, or where does it take the fun out of it?
3: Um, I, I would say when you're not learning. Um, I would say that, when people aren't learning the field craft or the, the woodsmanship that is required in order to do these things, when you're not optimizing and you're subsidizing the evolution of a hunter, um, that that's too much. Um, and, and so what I've never wanted to do with this application and what I don't do with this application is, um, make an easy button for people to just, you know, like, like, you know, a Tesla will park itself or we'll drive around a parking lot or we'll do self-driving and all you got to do is sit there. Um, that is not a good way to learn how to drive. And so AI exceeds its charge and does a disservice to its end user when it, when it subsidizes or it does for you things that you should learn first. So the application should present you material and features and explanatory um, narratives that explain why it's saying what it's doing or how it's saying what it's doing and what you should do with that as a hunter. In other words, we have an AI in there that predicts kind of where deer will be found inside of there. If you were to break down, um, if you're if you to look at like a frying pan and say this is a deer's entire range, and then you crack an egg inside of it, it's like the core area is like the yolk, and the, the yolk of the, the yellow of the egg, and then their, their transition area is kind of like the egg, and then the pan is basically anywhere that they could be found. So the app kind of tells you if you're hunting during daylight hours, where should you focus where could you focus your time in order to find deer? Um, But what it doesn't do is tell you, you still need to know those things about deer. You still need to go out there and scout and know where a core area is for a buck or a doe. You still need to know where the transition areas are, where are the scrapes, where are the scrape lines, where are the rub lines, um, where is the bedding, and then where are they going to eat, and what does eating look like? And you still need to know all of that other stuff. Um, it's, it's really designed to kind of get rid of that paralysis by analysis and help you make a decision on, you know, am I doing a bed set today? Am I, am I going to be on a scrape line? Am I going to be hunting food? Um, am I laying off? Am I going hard or going deep inside, you know, of bedding areas? You know, what, what, how am I architecting this hunt today? it can help you make that decision, but I can't do everything else for you. So I, I think, and, and so I would relate that to, having a Tesla that can parallel park itself. And then I'm telling my 16 year old daughter, don't worry about learning how to parallel park, just get in the Tesla and it'll parallel park for you. Well, that's gonna fail. And it's gonna, it's, it's, it's not gonna work at some point. And then she won't be able to parallel park or she won't be able to you know, do whatever rudimentary procedures are involved with you know, using a, a, a vehicle. And so that's where AI fails and its charge is, is, is making us dumb. Um, and that's not what I'm doing with Spartan Forge. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's to educate and incentivize people to scout so that they can apply the AI in the way that it was meant to be applied. So in the
2: verbiage that you use there and kind of like as you led into it from the like learning of the skills and things like that, and then trying to and 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 literally it would be like the the app could do it um in a in a perfect world or an AI, I'm sure it's capable of doing it. Um, but would it be feasible and would it be outside of the realm of what you're talking about there? As far as the learning thing is like, I use like random pins. Like most of my pins are either like the Spartan or, uh, other hunters. I think if we, as we've talked before, uh, because that's what John uses is the Turkey. So that's where the other turkeys are. Um, But it would seem reasonable to say if I was using the icons as uh, they're intended, right? So I find a scrape here and a scrape here and a scrape here and a scrape here. And I mark those on a scrape line and then I mark rubs in an area. In the future, whether you build it in there or not, would an app be capable of saying, this is where this buck is likely to be bedded or this is the likely route of travel. And is that too far?
3: Um, so we will have a feature where we will say, these are areas that you should scout. Not that these are areas where bucks will be, but these are areas that you should focus your scouting efforts on. And then why, or, or at least I think we will do that. Maybe we won't. We certainly have the ability, ability to do it right now. Like we could build, we have a neural network that can do that work. Um, it's gonna all be in the way that it's presented, in the way that it either it's gotta benefit the hunter in a way, and again, that doesn't handicap them. Um, or, you know, the other the other outcome here is it. it if somebody's using it to eat, then I don't care like if people are bringing home for their family, like food right now, um, and, and they're using it to go out and just slay does and they don't care what walks in front of them because, you know, this is freezer meat for the winter, which is how I grew up, you know, in a, in a pretty poor family and I'm eating game from, you know, either neighbors or other people that were giving it to us. If, you, or you're donating it to a church or whatever, then I don't care. Use the app however you need to, if you're a sport hunting or whatever, <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, in that in that scenario exactly, we probably w- wouldn't develop a solution that takes in user input data and draws conclusions from it. In other words, I wouldn't allow it to learn based off of things that you're adding to the map. It would just do general recommendations um, and then go from there. And it would be for you to investigate at that point, basically. Yeah, um, is, I think where I would go with that. Um, and then we've got other cool things that I really haven't talked about, um, but, you know, that will help people learn um, in, a, in a more rigored and structured way. Um, how, how to do, you know, the more um, not easily understood or known parts of hunting that you basically need to learn from someone else or just go out, you know, and, and, and you know, fail for five years before you kind of understand what you're doing wrong. So it's, it's all stuff that I'm trying to bring in there, um, to basically, you know, for, and I always think about these people, but you know, I've got buddies, one of them is on our pro staff and I, you know, I'm Andy May. He has like six or seven days of vacation a year. Um, and that's it. And and he wants to use four of those, you know, for his daughter. So now you're talking about a dude who's got like three days a year. Um, I know I might be hyperbolic. Maybe he's got a little more, but not much more than that. Um, I I am trying to give that guy as much information and things to think about while he's at home on the couch, looking at that application. And when he's getting an hour or two free to go and scout, I'm trying to present him with as many options as possible. So he can still go out and do what he enjoys or that he loves, or just allows him to take the steam off and just be by himself. And, And this is how he, you know, um, decompresses and it's what he really wants to do and and be successful, even though he's got very little or no time to do it. Um, but it allows him to still hunt and still have the success and the thrill and the fun and the, and the meat and the time. Um, then yeah, I, I want to bring those people as much capability to bear. So it's really like anything else in life. It's on the hunter to know as grown men and women, if, if, if this thing is serving them in a way that is productive or deconstructive, um, is it constructive or deconstructive? You know, that that is it's kind of on them to know because um, there's a ton of feed. All of us right now can pay two thousand dollars and go p- get put on a deer and kill it in a day and be done. And, and all of us right now can go and hunt you know our grandfather's property where he knows where every pocket of deer on that land are. And if I have two days, he's going to put me in a set set that's going to allow me to harvest a deer. What is the difference in an ethic from a learning standpoint to somebody who doesn't have access to those people or that capital to go and pay for that hunt and the ethic of being able to pay $39.99 for an app that will, will at least put you in the ballpark? Where does that ethic start and stop and which one is more ethical and why? would be a philosophical question that I would ask a user or somebody who is complaining that this app's telling you go to go where to scout like are you as offended by those people and if you're not why
2: well you i think the, I, I think that, well yeah but i think the answer is is kind of in like the earlier part of the conversation right is that there's apps that just gives, give me maps, like what sets Spartan Forge apart, like what makes yours better. And I think that comfort thing, and I, I think, you know, we've we've had a, a lot of different conversations on the podcast uh, with different people of, you know, it, it's it, it, people want an easy button. And whether that's like buying the newest piece of gear because they don't want to go scout or they don't have time or they don't have the confidence, but they want the confidence in the gear, they want that easy button. And if Spartan Forge is saying that it's artificial intelligence for the deer woods, and it's going to help put me on deer and I go there and I'm not seeing what I want to see. Well, then it's like broadheads, like shoot 10 deer with them. Greatest broadhead ever. Soon as it fails, worst broadhead ever. doesn't matter like the track record, uh, worst industry to get into. I feel like, but the same thing is like, if you go and you, like, all right, I switched from Onyx to Spartan Forge. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. And now it's 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 not telling me anything. I have to. You mean I have to go out there and and find it and look for it and do the work? It's easier to use another mapping site that isn't making me do any work. I can just still look at it, right? And, and I think that mm-hmm. philosophically, that's what you're talking about, right? It's it's how does it how does it make you feel internally?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that is for that is a hunter by hunter thing that they have to assess for themselves. I, I guess with my my retort there, I was more addressing the people that have a philosophical or a um, you know, there's that that would say there should be cultural resistance to things that are helping hunters more than just providing them a, a god's eye view of the world. Um, that was kind of what my that was my response to that was basically saying.
4: I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawk's Cave.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination
3: for outdoor entertainment. Um, If you have the money, you can just go pay for a deer to be put in front of you. Um, And if we're not calling that unethical, then, you know, my brother, the welder, Um, that has a seven days of vacation a year and three of them are for kids and four of them are for deer hunting. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving him the same option to have, you know, information put in front of him that would otherwise be time consuming and time prohibitive for him to be able to go out and do and and allow him to be successful. So, um, and and I guess the other thing too, to kind of go back to the the beginning of your question is, even though it's not obvious, I try to think of Spartan Forge as more of a planning application than I do as a mapping application. So whereas Onyx, HuntStand, and HuntWise, or Deer, Drury, DeerCaster, or whatever, they are either prediction applications or they are mapping applications that might throw in some weather. Um, they're not doing the planning, like the full cycle of hunt, Um and trying to automate and help hunters during that entire targeting cycle. Um, and that's what I'm seeking to do with the product is, you know, I'm trying to come out with some, you know, knock on wood scouting features that are going to be coming out that are specifically only for scouting in the spring. Um, and they won't have much to do with a map. Um, they'll they'll, they'll only, only that they're in the application will they have anything to do with a map. Um, and, and they'll be, um, specific for scouting and, and teaching, um, woodsmanship and field craft to hunters that otherwise would have to pay someone to teach them these things or just spend so much time in the woods that, that, you know, they might know it after 10 years of being in the woods. So that's where I, that's kind of another way that I see the difference, um, in the paradigm of, of hunting applications. So. I hope I'm answering the question because I I, I honestly can get off on um, some tangents here and I know that I'm losing myself.
2: No, that's, that's the best part of all of this is a long form uh, discussion. So it isn't, it isn't like what we talked about. It's not a, it's not a tweet and it's not a response on Facebook or Instagram that can be taken in a certain context or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you talk about bringing out new things and, and I want to get into something that happened with us over, over this past weekend is so you released the beta for blue Force tracker, which in and of itself was, uh, from your end, a giant hurdle just to get it onto the app built in there. Um, yeah. and I think what w- ourselves and maybe many other people is like that little box that says beta, like, doesn't mean anything to us. Like there's blue Force tracker. So it's going to work. Perfect. So talk about that beta and like, what does that mean? Because when it's out there, we think, Oh yeah, that it's going to work as direct, you know, as described as as intended.
3: Yep. 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 So, I mean, so, I I mean, the first thing to know about like a, a beta application is just that there's, there's stages of application and application release. And a beta is just, it's, it's a version of software that is under development and has been released, but it's it's often at a stage where the release is helping the developer test for bugs, um, usability, um, stability issues, um, and and we're and we're building and putting the product out for the purpose of testing and feedback. Um, so we're not charging more for the capability. Um, we're not. Um, uh, you know, it's it's very it's very compute expensive to run these kinds of things. It costs a lot of Amazon charges us a lot of money to run some of the things like Blue Force Tracker and some of the to build the layers like LIDAR and that type of stuff. And so we're not charging the user anymore. But there's also an expectation that, well, and it's probably a good point. I probably should explain to people what beta means, but also that there is an expectation that the application feature that is in beta will have problems. And it's because in Blue Force Tracker's case, Um, You know, we have a very complicated schema um, that we use to scale and grow teams in a way that doesn't bog down the system. So the easiest way to think about it is as a Blue Force tracker team grows, the hardware and the hardware architecture that we have devoted to the application grows in parallel and scales um, efficiently as the user needs it. So as more and more resources are needed, like on a computer where resources are fixed, the more demand you put on the computer, the slower it gets, it bogs down, it doesn't work well. Um, And so when you're building large, or when you're building capabilities like Blue Force Tracker that can get very large, you need to be able to scale the hardware or the software in this case, to support that user case, that user scenario. And it's very difficult to realistically test that unless you just have 50 people doing a Blue Force Tracker team. Like there's no other way to do it other than to just say, we're gonna put this out there, we're gonna watch it grow. And then as we watch it you know, mess up, we can address the bugs one by one as they, as they um, present themselves and then push out corrective versions of the application that account for those errors. So in the case of Blue Force Tracker, You know, we were testing it internally with teams of like, I think the biggest we got was like 10 people. Um, And when you have like generally small teams, it works really, really well. Um, But when you start getting into large teams of many people who are on different networks, using different phones, are parsing different types of data, um, are in online and offline scenarios, there's just so many things that can go wrong. So we offer that beta build to... um, to, to get it out there in front of a, a set of users and to kind of perfect the code base associated with that feature and then make it more stable as we go along. I guess is that is that is a beta in a nutshell. And with Blue Force Tracker, in fact, on your guys' Patreon hunt, which is awesome, um, I was very excited about seeing how it scaled. And I think it was, if I were to have graded it like a teacher grading you know, let's say Blue Force Tracker was a student, I would have given him like a B plus. Um, you know, for how it scaled and and, and did it because you had like what forty guys or fifty guys or something or maybe. So there team.
2: there was there was uh, like over thirty. There's thirty some guys in camp. So and then oh, we okay. had you and Garrett added there. So
3: yeah, so there was quite a bit of people on there, and I think there was a range of people who had like you know, forty percent of the pins if I recall, to all of the pins. Some people had all, some people had less than half. Um, so we were able to identify a lot of bugs and reasons why those types of things were happening and malformed data and all of the stuff that kind of prevent prevents these things from scaling well. Um, and this Monday, we'll be pushing an update to address a lot of it just based on what we saw on your guys' team. Um, and, and we're doing it with other teams, too. We had a team of um, hunters that were taking kids out for youth hunts. Um, and they had a team of like, I think like 25 or 28 people or something like that. And we saw consistent issues in the code base across both of those teams that allowed us to go out and, uh, and make these fixes. So that's a beta, that's the purpose of the beta. And um, it's generally the only, re- the only time you do those types of things is whenever you're trying to um, make fixes to a code base that requires actual users going out there and actually using it in mass in a way that you can't reciprocate in a lab or in a controlled environment like you normally would test.
2: So let's talk about the utopic view of like what Blue Force Tracker looks like because it was very interesting for us because we could see some data, like we could see pins, pins would pop up. Uh, And we were in an area that had like absolute dog shit service. So it wasn't like, You know, we were in a metropolitan area that had 5G everywhere and, you know, we were communicating, we were able to text, like, absolutely not. Like you could maybe sometimes see something, but we had, uh, we built our polygon. So you pick an area, you add people to the group and then you can put pins there. And so like for our guys, one of the things I like, I think it was a Sunday when Tim and I were talking And we were kind of breaking down like how we thought it went. We were like, I don't think it was designed for you and 30 of your buddies to go just bombard an area. And to be able to like see other people's pins was nice. We couldn't see where everybody else was, but that could have been a faction of no service or the beta or whatever. Um, But also along with that, when you have 30 guys dropping, let's just say five to 10 pins a day, that map gets really, really like like, full very quickly. Yep. And it's like, was that my yep. pin? Was that whose pin? Was that what was going on? Um, and I, we just kept having to tell ourselves like, this is helping them. And it's probably not how it was designed you know, you're, you're generally, it's going to be you and a couple of buddies. And like you had said before, like maybe a landowner, they'll be able to see like when you're on a property or, or where you're at or where you're poking around on that property. So what is the, the ultimate like end use look like?
3: So um, right now in the beta, it's just pin share. So there's no location share in there right now. Um, You're just doing pin share. I mean, we are trying to build it or we will have it built. So when you do have 30 guys on there, you should be able to drop, you know, pins, as many pins as you need between those users. And when they get service, um, they will, you know, all of those pins will reshare all over the map and you'll be able to click each pin and know who added which pin to where. Um, and we, we have a user, um, a, a persona system. That will be coming later, so you'll be able to, like, on your app, you'll be able to take a picture of yourself and and say, you know, Adam user 111 or whatever you want to call yourself. And then when you're inside of that geometry, your if there's service, your location will share. Um, so the first instantiation, the first instance of it is going to be just this pin share. And then once we kind of have that at a 99% solution, we'll go with location share and then and then location chat. So inside of that Patreon hunt team, there'll be a chat dialogue at the bottom where you'll have all of the chat features that you would expect in any other chat program. And you can communicate about that property and tag users and and share data and all of that stuff. So, But right now in the beta, it's pin share and photo share. So inside of each pin, you can post photos. So if you have like a tree stand and someone's gonna try to find it in the dark, you can put a pin in there. The next update will be location share. Um, The next um, update after that will be the chat um, tool per location. And then um, uh, there'll be a free landowner feature that will come later. So if you're knocking on doors and you want to give a landowner access, they'll be able to know when you're on the property. Um, There'll be some really cool offline sharing stuff that we will do in the future. So that if you're in an area where you don't ever expect to get service, um, you can still share that data um, and, and, and and use the platform of the phone in order to do it. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's also other cool things, um, probably next year that will do to buy down risk. So when it comes to, um, you know, a hunter falls out of a tree or there's a gunshot or, um, you know, someone's not responding to a chat in an area where they have service or you need to help you know, get emergency services to someplace or something like that quickly. Um, we're going to build in that stuff too. So the final form of it will be essentially a, a scaled down social media um, cloud for, you know, you and your hunting buddies in an area where you can basically share anything you want to but also, you know, if you want also to, to do some safety stuff and um, um, just basically to prevent people from having a to be able to share everything if they want to on a team. But then B, you know, we're not texting points to each other. We're not running into each other in the woods. We're not shooting towards the direction. If you're rifle hunting where you might have a buddy sitting on the ground, um, you're able to coordinate things like deer drives um, in a safe manner and, and all of it happens in an app experience that, you know, anybody who's ever seen a chat room or used social media will be able to pick up, um, and find it and and use pretty quickly.
2: And I gotta, I gotta say, you know, when, you know, Tim reached out to Garrett and then, you know, to you, when you talk about like, uh, wearing a lot of hats and being a disagreeable person or like whatever, however you feel about yourself, you know, we, so we've essentially have the CEO president, the director of product, uh, everything like in our Patreon group hunt, like looking at it, it, you know, somewhat, the things are just showing up on, on his phone, just the same as they are on ours. And then relaying feedback saying, what's going on. And, you know, we're, yes, affiliated with uh, Spartan forge, but like, w- uh, we're not like on the pro staff. We're not the guys that are developing the app or anything like that. Like, I don't think that in a, in a different circumstance, cause I wasn't the one that contacted bill. It was, you know, Tim Clark who, you know, for, for all intents and purposes was just another guy that knew Garrett. Right. So uh, that was what to me was like, Wow. You know, they want to be involved in the, you know, they want to see our problems in real time to help develop it. So from your perspective, like how helpful was it f- to to be in there?
3: Well, lar- hugely helpful. I mean, yeah, just like I said, we learn a ton from that experience and, um, and, and it's very difficult. You know, there was one other, you know, there's one other large Blue Force team out there that I was able to help out. Um, and, and interact with, and, and so it's it's hugely valuable because that's where all of the learning takes place. Is when you don't learn anything when things work. And I am keen to learn things. Like I'm, I always want to learn. You, most of the learning takes place when you don't know the answer or something is broken, and that's re- truly when you learn something. Like if you're, if if you could think about it, like if you're if you're old. 1990 f-150 runs perfectly you'll probably never have to crack the hood and you'll never know anything about that truck but if you've had that truck forever and your grandpa taught you how to crank on it and um you know you've replaced the slave cylinder and you've done work on the carburetor and you've um, replaced the tires and the brakes and you know only when those things pop up and those issues happen do you crack you know crack the hood and get under the get into the engine and take a look around and that's truly when you start to understand first the use case for the product but then also the nuts and bolts um and how they suffer and how they um respond under stress it's like you can build a solution and then if i just tell you guys like yeah we'll take a look at it later or whatever um and, or if it works right like, yeah, I might have architected it. I might have been supervising the guys that wrote the code. We might have integrated the code and it all worked. But I really don't have a sense of how it works down to the Nat's ass. But when we're doing it this way and there's so much load on it and so many people working on it, um, we're really able to figure out a lot. So it's a very valuable learning experience for us. And, I, you know, myself and our engineers, um, you know, we, we roundtable it. We all talk about it. We bust it all apart and we say, here's... You know, I, I use military style AAR formats for, you know, our code review and, and, and how we look at um, problems. So it's like what was supposed to happen, you know, what happened, what went wrong, what went right, and then what? how do we do this better next time? Um, and and that's really, uh, you know, how we look at things holistically in a, in a non-cliche way um, and try to learn as much as possible. And then when you have people who are doing that and everyone does that inside of the organization, Um, you do a couple of things, you make people experts in many domains, Um, you reduce the amount of people that need to be present in order to fix things in the future, because other people now know how to fix things. So the company's less personality driven. Um, You make the engineers better because they're watching the system from the beginning. And then subsequently, the products better, which is my end goal. So to answer your question, it's some of the most important stuff that we can do. And it's stuff that other companies would never do or would never have the time for um, or, or have grown so large that they couldn't possibly hope to do. I mean, you're certainly not dealing with their CEO or with their head of engineering or with their CTO. Um, and and uh, that is that is where I will always find myself as the founder of this company, as one of the founders of this company. Um, and uh, it's it's, I think how quality products get built that have, um, a user base that feels engaged and appreciated, um, from the very beginning. And that's really how I want to build things. So I know, um,
2: and, and like I said, it was just really cool. And I don't, I don't know like what the feeling is like, but it it was just, it was, I was very impressed that you guys were like, all right, well, I want to be in there. I want to see like what's going on. Like that, that was really impressive. Like whether we've known each other or not, you know, like that you guys wanted to be in there and see that. Um, But for me, for you, like being on the inside and being able to see this thing through everything and like from the back end, the front end, obviously you know this app inside and out like that uh, F-150 that you're talking about what is your favorite feature or like one of the things that you, you think is most underutilized by the public of about Spartan Forge?
3: Well, I know that because I look at usage and it's the journal feature journal feature is the most. So I'll say two things about the journal feature. One, it's the most underused feature Two, every killer that I know it's their most used feature. So when I look at like an Andy May or a Lee Ellis or a Drew Carroll, um, it's it, and I look at what they're using inside of the application. They're and Johnny Stewart, they're documenting everything, like everything they do. They go out scouting. There's there's journal pins, and they're documenting it. They go out and they have an interaction with a big deer. Um, you know, I I can't remember if it's Andy or maybe it was Garrett. You know, they take pictures of deer cameras and they log them in the journal. So you know, I'm talking. We're talking about guys here who have like you know. 1,500 journal entries. Um, and, and and so that, that is really the most, I'm not saying that it's a critical feature, but what I am saying is every stone cold whitetail killer that I know uses that feature far more than every other hunter that uses my application. So I'm not saying it's directly correlated. And maybe it's just because they're more diligent than other people and more diligent people kill more deer. and and more diligent people happen to use um, a journal. It's kind of like when people say, you know, children whose parents buy them, you know, hooked on phonics, read 30% better than parents whose children don't buy them hooked on phonics. And it's like, well, is it because I bought them hooked on phonics, or is it because the parents are so involved?
4: I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime and on any device.
1: Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. The from the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is is duck camp dinner join me chef jean-paul bourgeois and the whole crew every monday at 8 p.m eastern on waypoint tv
3: and that they bought them hooks on hooked on phonics and they just generally care about everything and therefore it wasn't hooked on phonics it was just that those parents care more so the children are better so it it could be the same thing i'm not saying that it's that all i'm saying is it's that that diligence um, and that attention to detail um, is critical in, you know, these, what these people do now, Bill Thompson, personally for me, it's, and it's just because of my nature. I I just made a reel today. Um, I was hunting you know, my second hunt of the year early this morning, I was setting up in an area where I've always seen bucks. They always come into this area the same way. And I've, I've never been able to, I can always see with binos where they come in but I've never been able to go over there because I could never get access. So I, all I've been able to do is watch deer walk in. So if you, if you, if you guys are listening, today's the 11th of October, um, I made a, a reel today and you know I had gotten into this area and I watched these bucks walk in and then I'm looking at the map and it's not obvious to me and then I flipped to the LIDAR feature and then it became painfully obvious why deer were walking into the spot the way that they're walking into the spot And it was something I could only see with the LIDAR feature because topo maps didn't show it. Even the the gangster um, UAV imagery that we have in the area didn't show it. Um, Contour lines weren't showing it. Slope angle shading wasn't showing it. But when you turn on that LIDAR feature, it was obvious why the deer were walking the way that they're walking and the way that the ground in the area set up and the way that everything kind of funneled to this area. Um, And then you can emphasize it in 3D and look at it. And I can see on my, why my stand is, I never knew why my stand was successful where it was. I just knew that's where I saw deer. And I just knew that's where where there was a scrape and I had a camera and I sat up there. And, and and so it wasn't something where to me, it was seemingly just how the deer used the area. And i never knew why. And then when I got in there and I actually launched LIDAR and I was looking at it, I was like, Oh, there's, two drainages here and they don't like to get that. And, and I can't see them from my stand um, because it's just, you know, some water, shallow water where it's maybe two or three feet deep, but the deer walk between these two drainages um, because they, you know, they obviously aren't going to go in there unless they have to. So they're using this as kind of like a, you know, how deer use transition kind of like we use paths or roads. They, they use it to, to orient themselves. They were just walking between these two drainages and then they jut out to where I am. I would have never known that because A, I've never had access to go and walk that land, but B, I can't see it from my binos on the ground. And then, but when you look at it with LiDAR, it's the only way that you can walk through that area without getting soaked. Um, so that to me, and then seeing that in 3D and then, and then rotating the map and looking at it was just like, that is the power of that feature. So that's my personal favorite thing that we've done and it was a lot of work to get all of that gather all of that data, resource it all, and then to build the mapping solution that put it together. So
2: that's awesome. And I mean I I I did not take the advice. Um I did I did not uh uh do what he said. Um but I was in a similar situation where I've found myself hunting a, a property that uh one of the hunters that's been on here quite a bit um, has hunted. And he was like, if you go knock on this door, they'll let you access through there. And when you drive by the house, you're like, it just looks like a mountain. It just looks like there's no way. Like, I'm not as crazy as that guy. And then when you pull it up, when you guys launched the 3d, I pulled up that same area and popped up the mountains on 3d. It was like, Oh, it was absolutely a 100 apparent like no shit like that's exactly yeah. what he talks about that's exactly where and that's exactly why uh he's a, as successful as he is and you know being able to see that visually um uh, was incredible And that lidar is pretty impressive because you're seeing like you'll look at the timber and then you can see like where we were just hunting uh like the motorcycle trails that are cut in there, you'll you'll see like all these like old timber cuts, like all these old logging roads that don't show up in big woods and they don't even show up on the UAV stuff. But um, yeah, man, I think, you know what you, what you've done and like what you're setting out to create, I think, unfortunately, you know, you're doing it the very, very, very hard way. Um, and you're, you're going from like two different environments, like where, you're going from a military background where you have all the resources to like, now you're out on your own and you're getting the resources and you're dealing with hunters who want a quick fix, easy. They don't want to put in the work They're The, the pride is in the, the end. It's not in the journey uh, for a lot of people. Um, And so I, I can't commend you enough for, you know, coming on here. And I, I feel like, you know, on some level, Like this was like, you're sitting in like a confessional here and like, or like a therapist's office and like being able to like air, like everything. Cause I've I've like watched your like body language and everything. Uh, So I just want to say thank you for coming on here and and kind of uh, breaking down where everything is at, you know, at this point and kind of like where everything's going in the future. So, you know, I just kind of want to, if there's anything else you want to close out with, but man, I, I really appreciate you coming on tonight.
3: No, thank you so much for having having me. And like I said, you're my first podcast, so we share a special bond here where, you know, I can I can I can let my hair down a little more than I normally would because um, I know I'm in good company. Um, so, no, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the hell out of your podcast, and um, um, I love being associated with it. And like I said, uh, you know, growing up, I, one of my the sayings my grandfather always had with me from a young age was dance who you came with. Um, in other words, when you're bringing a woman to a dance, um, you should dance with her while you're there. Um, and you know, that, that to me, well, besides enjoying your podcast and listening to it and stuff, like you were the first guy that I did a podcast with. Um, and, and I love what you do with your Patreon group. I love what you do, um, with the group of guys, obviously you're a veteran. So that, that puts you in, 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 in close company with me. So, um, I mean, I love supporting what you guys do and and I love the input and I I, I love the exchange and, uh, I look forward, uh, to coming on again next time.
2: Yeah. Like just say the word, maybe when, when you get to go hunting for once, um, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about
3: that. For sure. Excellent.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, Bill, I really appreciate it. Where can everybody follow along? And, um, you know, if they want to check some of this stuff out, like where's the best place to like get that? I mean, you know, you can go to uh, SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code bowhunter. You can save some money uh, with us. Yep. Uh, but we've got a lot of people that were on since the beta of the Spartan Forge when it was only just a screen that told you, like, this is what the barometric pressure is going to be in, like, transition yeah. area. Like, what does that mean? Um, so we got a lot of people that are still riding riding that way. But uh, where That's can awesome. they find that?
3: So, yeah, SpartanForge.ai. Um, you can look this up in the App Store. Um, find us on social media, spartan.forge, um, either on Facebook or Instagram. Like I said, all the questions about the applications, gripes, com- you know, commendations, whatever people want to do, um, I will be answering those if you have a question specifically for me about the app, about development or deer movement. Just say, hey, i got a question for Bill, and I'm happy to engage with people, and uh, I look forward to uh, talking again.
2: All right. Well, thank you, sir.
3: Thank you, Adam. Have a good night.
0: Created by man. Don't miss Wild Country Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leak and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the
4: Sun every Sunday at 9:30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.